0: amen can you say hosanna hosanna. Hosanna, in the hosanna in the highest oh let your praises be made to God amen. he deserves it uh, too much of this culture has I think plagued the church a bit and that could be a product of worship wars I don't know what took place somewhere down the line in music and in song and in choirs and whatever took place with instrumentation there was something new that that riled up in the late 80s and the early 90s and and people began to spontaneously praise god and and they, they felt like they could uh in new fresh ways i grew up in the church but we grew up with hymns and it was so reserved there was no instrumentation really that much it was pretty laid back and it was a hymnal. I love the hymns, but everything was so reserved and we, we, we stood proper and there's no way that the scene, there's no way that the scene that the triumphal entry was anything proper. It was praise, unhindered praise to God. Now we're gonna start somewhere else and end up there. And I feel like there's a connection when you think about that statement made, they begin praising the Lord Jesus for all the miracles that they have witnessed and I want to go back to a time just post this conversation with Pharisees and Jesus heals and they begin to plot to kill him. The scripture we find ourselves in today is Luke 7, the last part of that chapter starting at verse 36 and Let us just read right away the word of the Lord this morning and get right to it. Chapter 7, verse 36. It'll be on screen as well. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet Weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair, his dirty feet. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts and said, Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him the story A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to another, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who has forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace." Father, we come to you today, and we're reliant upon your spirit to teach our hearts that which is necessary, your spirit to speak into our lives, for your people to hear your word from your mouth, your love for them, your correction for them, your discipline for them, your truth for them today, and so may we be a people that have ears that hear. And we pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's get this straight. And I'm not too sure what's going on here. But the last time Jesus had interaction with the Pharisees, they wanted to plot to kill him because he healed on the Sabbath. Now, a Pharisees invited him over for dinner. His name is Simon. We don't know the motives of this man. We really don't. Was he intrigued to meet Jesus? You know, not everybody was anti-Jesus at the time, but there was sort of this rise up against Jesus building amongst the people, for sure. He was doing and saying things different. We know that. He came and he spoke ways in which clarified the Father's heart for people, came and ministered to people that weren't ministered to by the religious elite, And one of those invited him to his home. Maybe he had heard the stories and wanted to just see the man for himself. Maybe he was trying to trap Jesus just like the others, finding fault. For Jesus had just healed, and it was against the Sabbath to heal. Was the Pharisee truly hospitable? The time came to eat, and it was interrupted by this woman. We're not too sure she was in the area or she traveled to the area. Somehow she was able to get into this home. But she knew Jesus would be there. A sinful woman, mind you. She came in with this expensive gift, perfume, and she sat and cried at Jesus' feet. Aware of her tears on his feet, she began to wipe those tears and began to pour out the perfume that she had brought while kissing his feet. Can you picture the scene? Would you have been uncomfortable at that scene? Would you? Would you have looked upon and said, Can someone get her out, please? We're trying to eat. It's probably the heart of most there in that moment. The scripture doesn't report she said a single thing. She just sat at his feet and wept. So Simon, who invited Jesus, says something to his heart. And Jesus, knowing all things, knows the condition of man's heart and replies, the sinner was defiled and untouchable. And yet Jesus allowed sin to touch him. That wouldn't be the first time, nor was it the last time. The final time would be on the cross. That's who God was. Didn't make him nervous. He knew the the sinner needed to reach out to him and he was available. And Jesus portrays this beautifully before he even hits the cross. Jesus knows the heart of people. So he converses and he tells a story Tells a story for all to hear in that moment, but speaks particularly to Simon. Wants an answer. Two debts, one greater. Who would love more as a result of that debt being canceled? And the obvious, the one who had a greater debt. We just read it. There's the overarching ideas going on in that scripture. And Jesus does something very special. It's one of those miracles that people are declaring on the road. We don't necessarily think of that. But a sinner saved and forgiven. What a miracle salvation is. What a miracle. Think about it. What a miracle salvation is you think of that in your life, you're like, oh, God's never done anything. Yes, he has. If you believe in Jesus, he has done the greatest miracle in your life. Oh, please let us not forget. Let us not forget. And Jesus doesn't. And he shares a basic story. Because sometimes we just need a story, Right? to awaken our hearts and our thoughts and our minds. Could you imagine the embarrassment, maybe? I don't know, too much pride or not, Simon has, but the embarrassment that some might have when Jesus seems to obviously correct it. Now, they probably point to Jesus being wrong. Jesus is so right in what he's doing, what he's allowing her to do, and what he does in her life. Someone who's completely unworthy to be at the table. Now this wouldn't be a normal setting like we're sitting at a table and someone would come up and you know if you were at a long banquet table you maybe wouldn't notice this person. They lounged differently. This would have been very public. Jesus describes the situation then after giving this parable from his point of view. I'm just going to kind of give you some basic themes of what Jesus was saying to the people that day. Simon you did not customarily offer me water to wash my feet. But in an act of sacrificial worship, this sinful lady washed Jesus' feet with tears of repentance. Simon, he did not customarily greet Jesus with a kiss. But in an act of sacrificial worship, the sinful lady did not stop kissing Jesus' feet, confessing she is not worthy to be in his presence. The kiss would be a normal greeting upon a guest. Simon did not customarily anoint Jesus' head with oil. A simple sign of respect for a guest. In an act of sacrificial worship, the sinful lady broke open a very expensive perfume and poured it upon Jesus' feet. You didn't refresh me, Simon, but she loved me. You, You didn't welcome me, Simon but she expressed an unworthiness to be in my presence. You didn't even show respect for me, Simon, but she has sacrificially outdone the religious elite in every way possible. Two people in the presence of Jesus, Jesus forgives, and her faith it says saves her, and she was sent By Jesus to go in peace. That's key. We'll hit that again later. Sent by Jesus to now go in peace. This sinful woman, let's go back through it again, has postured herself spiritually and physically at the feet of Jesus. And everything she did was on public display. Simon has said it in his heart and no one else knew and maybe everybody else in the room said it too to their hearts and Jesus knows the man's heart and he rebukes them. It's kind of interesting. I would have been like, did uh, you know I was thinking that? Jesus, I didn't say that out loud. In him was private Thoughts. Not spoken out loud, but what he thought about Jesus and what he thought about a sinful person. The sinful woman, publicly, what she thinks about Jesus, what she thinks about her sin, and she doesn't give a rip about anyone else there. I don't know if that sinks in at all, but we give a rip about who's in our presence. Right? Can you, can you, let's just do this. I'm going to raise my hand first, and then you can follow if you give a rip sometimes. If that's the awkward thing, come on, I'm just, if that's an awkward thing for you. I've told this before. Culture has done this a bit. I rode to the top of a mountain. I rode to the top of a mountain, dropped my bike down, and no one's around But I tried to yell out, Jesus, I praise you and give thanks to you. You are worthy. And before I did it, I went, Is anybody going to hear me? How weird is this that someone comes hiking? Why do we care what anyone else thinks? Remember, he's done a miracle. The miracle that is necessary in our life. All the other miracles are amazing, but they're supposed to grab us and our attention and point to the miracle of salvation, a God that loves us. Everything he does points us back to a God who's all-powerful and capable of overcoming all things in this life, but particularly in the life to come. Why did I stand so hindered and frozen on a mountaintop nobody else around? And then if I'm not careful I sit in a service of this nature and wonder if I raise my hands right now will somebody think I'm a weirdo? If I sing and I sing out a key will someone have a problem with that? No one should have a problem with that. No one should matter. It it should not matter. No one should care. It should not matter that other people think about other people. That that we have got to lay aside. And some of you might be going, I know, I know, I know. Okay, I'm not asking us to be a bunch of Pentecostals here on Sunday morning at all. But there is something lost. There is something lost in this core value responsive worship. I, 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 Kind of pulled you into this morning. And I guess maybe the worship leader is supposed to do that. But there are words and lyrics and songs where I want to just break down crying, but I can't because I'm leading you in the song. Sometimes I back up for the mic, and it's not because I forgot the lyric. I can't utter a word because it means so much to me. And I got to do that week in and week out. And they know it sometimes. I'm like, I got to back up. I can't even say it right now, it's too profound. It speaks too deep to my heart. If we're not careful, we come into this place and... Will I receive something? Is, is there something I'm going to receive? See, there were hearts that were self-conceited in that room where that sinful lady met Jesus. And those hearts that are self-conceited become very numb. They, they care about what others think. They want to present themselves holier than thou. And uh, don't hear me wrong, I'm not accusing anyone of that here, but if we're not careful, that's what we do. We don't want people to see that we're sinners. So point to your neighbor and say, "You're the sinner." No, don't do it. I'm just kidding, just. <laughs> point to yourself and say, "I'm the sinner." Go ahead, Point to yourself and say, "I'm the sinner." Saved by grace. That's right. I don't know about you, but when I I think of that, I want to say yes. I want to scream to the top of my lungs, I'm not worthy, but you are, God. I didn't want to break a speaker. He is so worthy of that. I love Jesus, too. He's so worthy of our unhindered praise. There's no explanation for why Jesus was invited to the lives of the Pharisees. And when He is, He's ignored as the honored guest. They're more concerned about the conditions of others than their relationship with Jesus. They will never be free to worship as they have lost touch with the reality that Jesus is a holy God. He's in their midst, in their presence. And it should bring them to their knees if they only knew. I watched this movie. Thank you, Randy. We were talking on Thursday, and I I went ahead and rented it. And I do remember seeing it in the the theaters. My kids reminded me because they remembered the scenes. And it's a movie called Risen. I'm not necessarily promoting the movie, but there's so much of that movie that I was able to take in that was, was overwhelming for me. I sat in bed. My wife was getting ready to leave on a trip, and I just sat in bed as I was reading the Word, and I turned this movie on, and there's this scene, particularly with uh, this one they call the Tribune Calvius, or Clivus, or whatever, Calvius, Clivus, something of that nature. And he begins to see things transpire that are starting to prove that Jesus has resurrected. His goal was to hunt down the man and find the man that was stolen by the disciples, Yes, quite fictional, whatever, but it was amazing. He stumbled into the room where disciples were meeting and praying, and Jesus was in his presence. And he walked along the wall, and he just slowly, almost just like a, a deer in headlights, and he slid his back against the wall and just sat there at like, what am I seeing? And I broke down. I went to see it through the eyes of somebody new. I broke down and went, that should be my posture almost every time when I realize Jesus is in my presence. How on earth is he alive? Because God made him alive. And he overcome death and destruction. He has victory. And it's true what the scriptures say as we'll celebrate this next week on Easter. But to see it through the eyes of someone else Brought tears, and so I threw my hands in the air. And I was like, yes. And I was like, what if my wife comes down the hallway? She's like, what are you doing in there? I was just like threw my hands, I'm like, God, this is what I believe. Am I so far from it sometimes that it doesn't make my heart leap and cause me to drop to my knees? See low is me a sinner. I'm not worthy. Unless we can get to that place, I feel like there's not a day ahead for us of unhindered praise. Our faith in Him, our faith in Him is not our self-righteousness. Our response should be different. It's His righteousness. We forget what others think. We realize that we are sinners that come and sit at His feet not someone who watches from the distance and thinks in our heart and judges the moment or other people or even Jesus for not doing something in my life or for doing something that I feel like he shouldn't be doing or accusing him of something, that life has just gotten the better of me. We get to a place where we can't even utter a word. We'll go to great lengths, even expensive public lengths, because we know Jesus is worthy and we're worth it. We're worth it because Jesus said to God, we are. God said to Jesus, we are. And they together decided that he would die for our sins. You're worth it. I'm worth it. It should be brought to our knees. And Jesus is worthy of it. Worthy of praise. Like the sinful women, we are sent back into the world then in peace. We want an audience with Jesus, but do we want it like Simon or the sinful woman? Did you come to receive? Does Jesus need to show up and prove something to you today? Does he? Have you invited him in, but you stood at a distance and say, Okay, Jesus, show me what you got today. Show me what you have for me today. Simon threw a dinner and invited Jesus and didn't even give him the respect due an invited guest. Invited but ignored in all the ways of hospitality, of even honoring a guest. Or did you come today to give? We have got to make a shift in the church. The church ends up becoming a gathering place for people to feel like God's got to give them something on Sundays or all through the week when church was called to assemble to give back to God and give Him praise to His name. The church is not a place you come assemble and you receive. It's a place you come to, to give to. Everything that you have, you put before God and say, how shall I give to the church? My brothers and sisters is what you're saying. How shall I give to my brother and sister? How can I be a part of the body? Not how can I come and suck the marrow out of it? Are you like the sinful woman? Expecting nothing and sacrificially giving to Jesus her entire self while humbling in posture Worshiping him, honoring him as the king he is. Worship is not about uh, getting or receiving. It's about giving. Do we understand that this morning? Responsive worship. Lord, you save me. I give back myself. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God. That's giving back to God everything you are and everything you have. Luke 6:38 Give and you will receive. We just said it. Your gift will return to you in full pressed down, shaken together to make room for more running over and poured into your lap. These are the words of Jesus. But come and expect to give and nothing else and watch what God does in your life. Until we understand and experience for ourselves the sinful woman experience and resolve to say, that is me. On a regular basis, come to places of confession, repentance, brought to our knees in a posture to say, this isn't okay. You've made this known to me. It's not all right. Lord, forgive me. I am not worthy. We can never, ever worship at the triumphal entry. Those people at the triumphal entry were those that were affected by Jesus in this way. They were not the religious elite. The religious elite were like, shut them up. And Jesus says, there's no way because the very things of this earth will cry out to me. It was people that saw miracles, that had the miracle of salvation given to them, that were freed from their sin, an evil spirit, sickness and disease. There were blind people that saw the road for the first time with a king marching down on a donkey. That's where unhindered praise came from. They were affected by Jesus and they shouted all praise to the king that comes blessed. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And you know what that means really? Save us now. Want to know why they said it? Because Jesus could do it. They witnessed it. But they all had moments where they could go nowhere else. They didn't sit in their self righteousness. There was no other place to turn. And the masses huddled around him and they were being healed. Some were seeing for the first time there were former lepers probably on this road that were completely clean, screaming out, Hosanna! Because he's worthy until we have that moment of breaking in our lives and recognize that on a daily basis, we could never, ever find ourselves unhindered praise, giving unhindered praise to Jesus at the road, the triumphal entry. Please don't forget, remember, remember, remember what Jesus has done for you. Then and only then will you be able to praise Jesus like those on that road Fear will always create doubt, and then doubt creates more fear. We are afraid sometimes of the posture we might take, or the confession we might have publicly because of what others will think. We, we have altars here, and that might be foreign to maybe half of you here. I don't know. Um, they've been in the past for the church a place to come and kneel before God, not man, and do business with Him. It's been a posture to get on our knees and confess. It's been a posture in the church to give praise. But if, if I make that walk and that journey to an altar, and I know I need it, I know I need to come. I don't care about anybody else. I don't think it's a lost practice. I just think it has become a place of embarrassment. And that's not what it was designed for, but it's humbling. If I, if I make that walk, I'm wondering, everybody's going, what sin did he commit? Why is he going there? Hmm. Hope Brenda's okay. Is he is he screaming and yelling and beating his kids? Is he cheating? Is that is that, that kind of like? Does that oh, do we create this fear and this doubt that we realize we never ever can drop to the knees and just do business with Jesus because we're wondering what other people think? I don't care. I don't give a rip because I need this. I need to be unhindered in my worship. I need to make confession. Because why? I need to be sent after that moment out in peace. Otherwise, I live in the chaos of my fear and doubt regularly. And I live miserably all week long. And then I have the moment again. And I, trust me, I'm not saying, again, we don't always do this and have invites to the altar. But there's lots of business that can be done right where you're at or in the bed, me throwing up my hands or in a moment on the couch or in a prayer that I have somewhere. I've been on the road bawling before God. Caught up in the goodness of Him. That's what it is. It's not that it's manufactured and produced at some designed moment when we meet on Sundays. But if that's when God wants you to do business, you need to respond. Because I know my most humbling moment, and I'll I'll be honest with you, I was a wreck, and I could not do it on my my own. I could not figure it out on my own. It was an endless cycle of fear and doubt and fear and doubt. I had to walk before a bunch of people that knew I was a youth leader in a youth band trying to get a Christian rock ministry off the ground to do evangelism, and I broke. I knelt before a worship team. There was no altar, and I began to weep, and the masses came around me to pray and lift me up, and it was a moment I will never forget because I left that place in peace. I don't think it would have happened any other way. Again, I don't do that because that's the formula. Well, if I come up the altar and I say something to God and people huddle around me, then it'll all go, pfft, good. No. Do do, do we, are we moved by our heart anymore? Do we respond to what God's saying to us? Maybe it's through the word. Maybe it's through a song and you need to come and do business at the altar during the middle song. Maybe it's through the sermon and you need to do business during the, that would not bother me at all. Maybe you just need to turn in worship and hit your knees at the chair. Fantastic. I'm saying you have the freedom. Maybe you need to celebrate and clap out of tune during a song because you just can't help yourself because the lyrics are just, yes, that's what I need to be saying. And we should be saying it. Blessed be the name of the Lord. No. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But feel free to do it. And who cares if you look like a weirdo? The sinful woman was a weirdo to everybody there. She was doing heathen weird things. Who kisses people's feet, dirty feet, at that in public? Someone who does not give a rip and knows their condition. And the only thing they could do is hit the floor. The people at the triumphal entry of Jesus didn't care what others thought. Imagine the joy and the celebration as they threw garments of clothing on the road ahead and breaking off these palm branches or things of that nature and tossing them before Jesus and waving them before him, yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, and the highest. Save, save now, Jesus. Save us now. And they did not give a rip about the religious, religious elite or what anybody else thought because they knew they've witnessed Jesus being the king who came to save them. We could be that crowd on a regular basis. We could be that crowd that worships without hindrance, and I'm not talking here. Yes, I'm talking here, because together we should be able to do that very easily. Could you imagine being a part of a group who's shouting, chanting? It's a whole lot easier to do, right? If you watched a football game in the stadium and you were by yourself, would you jump to your feet when that person scored a touchdown? But when you're in a group, and I've seen some of you at ball games, and something good happens, we just jumped to our feet to give praise to someone where it doesn't even matter. You've probably done it at your TV set. If we're not careful, we're so easily moved by things that do not matter and hardly moved by the one who has saved us by his grace. Finally, Jesus is worth it. Yeah. But if we're not careful, the people of God, and not just this church, but the church in general, becomes a place where when the unhindered worshiper enters in, they don't fit in. That would be sad. How many believe that would be sad? Raise your hand if you believe that would be sad. That was that that unhindered, it's just sad. How many believe that would be a sad statement about our church, that I went into that church, and boy, they're hindered in their worship. Nobody's asking you to bounce off the walls Nobody's asking you to do anything anything crazy. I'm saying pay attention to God and how He's moving in your heart and let your very being be affected. All week long, the posture should be something that the world goes, you kind of talk like a fool and you act like a fool. And you're like, that's the Holy Ghost inside of me. We should look different. In the midst of a storm, be able to declare something like, what? How do you say that? Because I know my God. And he loves me, and he has not forsaken me, and he will see me through this, whatever his will is. Boy, that sounds foolish to me. You sound ridiculous. Fantastic. It's foolish to the wise. But it brings great incense to the one who created you and called you back to himself through Jesus Christ. May we be a people of unhindered worship that we couldn't contain ourselves all week long and then that just moves us to a place I'm gathering with the people of God on Sunday. I cannot wait to tell someone about what Jesus has been doing. I can't wait to sing a song unto God with God's people because God is worthy of it. Can I be honest with you? Can I really be honest with you? Mike and I talk about this all the time, don't we, Mike? Um, Back in the day, again, we still get here pretty early. That's not the toot of horn. Let's just tell you what it requires us to do to kind of be prepared for a Sunday. And we get here super early. And we were saying the other day, because Steve's been a part of this for a long time, we've we would spend hours upon hours, whether they were early in the morning or late at night till one in the morning, working on worship music that would lead people to a place where we could lift them up to the throne and disappear. That was our goal. Stephen Mike, you remember, that was like words spoken of this. Oh, that you would lead people to a place that they would feel brought to the throne of God and then you would disappear. That was the word spoken over us when we had toured all the time. That has been our utmost goal and intent when we do what we do on a Sunday. But what if all the electronics were broken and the electricity was out and there were no instruments and uh, all the worship team got the flu and there was only one to be here to lead or to do something, would it freak you out? Would you be like, oh man, we're not singing today? Would it matter? I had come to a youth group night, and it was the perfect storm. I kind of helped with worship, but I was the youth pastor, and I lost like most of my leaders that night. And I think I was rustling things together, and I called Kelly. I said, Here's what we're going to do. And I printed out sheets, and I found a bunch of Psalms that I felt like the kids could resonate with in the day. And I said, They're all sitting out there like this, and I said, So we're going to do worship. Right now, we're going to have a time of worship where we just give praise to God, broken, maybe celebratory. And I said, here's your worship page. And I handed them all out. When you see a psalm that you resonate with, I want you to stand before all of the students and let your song be heard. And we did that for 20 minutes or something, and we worshiped. Do, Do you see We don't need all of this, but God blesses that. We just need to be open to whatever he wants for the moment and give him praise and glory. You go home and you want to turn on the radio to sing a song, awesome. If you do it in the shower, God bless you. However that looks like for you. If that's what you like to do, if you sing along in the car, super great. But you could literally open up God's word. What mighty praise, oh God, belongs to you to you and it steers you in worship of God there's practices that we've lost in that way we we think it should look or act a particular way in the midst of people and then you're like i, I hope they get it right i hope they sing x amount of hymns and i hope that the music's not so loud or we do th- is that really where we're at anymore i hope it's not you, you i hope you trust what the team does every week to be sensitive to a theme for music and that we get a chance to help you celebrate the things God's doing and move your heart towards the Word of God. That's our practice with you as the gathering of Saints, our unhindered worship. Can we do better at that? We're always paying attention and asking God, what could we do, how could we do this? We're trying to be sensitive and and we ask that you would join in and help us in that. We've got so much to give and we offer it. We're asking you to come and give and offer it as well as we gather. And that we would go through the week and find places and times where we just cannot contain ourselves and that we're just excited to bring that, what God revealed to you, back to the body, that we would be looking at each other I know that sounds even weird if we were singing a song, blessed be the name of the Lord, and we were saying it to each other because after all, we're actually declaring that. Coach, blessed be the name of the Lord. Ken, blessed be the name of the Lord. See, automatically the response is yes. And then both of them look at people and say, blessed be the name of the Lord. That it would create something that that stokes the fire that we sang about today, that it rekindles that even emotion in us, that reminds us that God has done a great work and He's in our midst, and we're gonna treat Him as an invited guest, and we're gonna we're gonna be prepared for Him when we come in on a Sunday, and be willing to offer everything, and even publicly, and even sacrificially, because He's worthy of it. Is that? Are you guys okay with that, church? That's what we're called to be. And you know what? That person who's hindered in their worship would come to our gathering and go, what's going on here? And if they were to ask, you would turn to them and say, oh, us, we can't contain ourselves. We have a God who saved us. Amen. We're celebrating Jesus this morning. And if you think that's hokey or whatever, you could think whatever you want, but why else would we gather? We're celebrating Jesus. Amen. He's worthy of the praise. Amen.